Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're speaking with Brad Beer, legendary physical therapist and Amazon best-selling author of You Can Run Pain-Free, a physio's five-step guide to enjoying injury-free and faster running. Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast, where we help you understand how to keep training and running even if you've been injured. In this episode, you're going to learn about Brad's approach to decreasing overuse injuries that plague endurance runners and long-distance triathletes. The simple fact is that many physicians here in the United States completely ignore hip stability and core strength as a primary contributor to these types of injuries. I know because I lecture to them at medical conferences, and when we discuss this idea, their eyes all seem to go blank. But Brad has actually written an entire book that incorporates a far more holistic approach that's typically what's offered to uh, physicians here in the United States. And one of the core principles in his book is that hip stability or core weakness can drive stressors further down the chain and lead to the common types of overtraining injuries that affect many endurance athletes. So I'm super excited to have Brad join us on the podcast today. And not only is he a physio guru, but he's a real runner himself. And I have no doubt that everybody listening to this is going to benefit from the five-step process that Brad teaches to help people run injury-free. So Brad, welcome. Dr. Chris, thank you very much for the invitation to join in. But no, I'm really glad to have you on here. And I understand that in Australia, you're highly sought after as a physical therapist. You treat many elite athletes there. Um, but we also know that you have something in terms of knowledge that makes runners want to listen to you. That, of course, is that you're actually a runner. So before we get started in, in the specifics of your book and some of your ideas that you teach, you know, I'd like to see if you could just share a little bit uh, with your listeners about your athletic history and um, how that led to your passion for teaching runners these principles that can help them reduce their risk of injury. Yeah, certainly, Dr. Chris. Uh, I guess uh, as a junior, you know, athlete, I, my, my love was, my first love was triathlon. Uh, you know, it was 1990 when uh, here in Australia there was a domestic triathlon series um, that was broadcast. It was called the Tui's Blue, later to become the St. George and Accenture series. And it was a bunch of short, fast Grand Prix style races that had the, you know, cream, to, cream of the crop internationally and here domestically racing. And I remember watching it as a child and just being absolutely captivated, uh, Chris, with, um, with these athletes. And fortunately, took an interest and then I also had some degree of talent uh, with endurance sports myself. So right through my school years, Chris, if you asked me what I wanted to do, it was very one-tracked and focused. I wanted to become a professional triathlete and this was, you know, between 1990 and 1998. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the world of professional triathlon was really, you know, uh, still quite amateurish but in my mind, all I wanted to do was to race triathlons. So, uh, you know, I, I did that and sort of was at a national junior level, which, um, you know, was was great. But in 1999, as a 19-year-old, I had a big bike crash and, you know, some fairly hefty injuries, uh, subarachnoid brain hemorrhage, multiple fractures. Unbeknownst to me at the time, there was, um, you know, a major defect in what we would both know as the trochlear groove in my knee, a cartilage defect. And, that was to later manifest, you know, as I tried to get back on the bike and back to running with a lot of pain predominantly in my left knee. And long story short, Chris, I uh, ended up having surgery on that years later whilst a physiotherapy student um, had, had long ago given away the dream of, you know, even running again due to the pain I was in. I thought that was beyond me and 
And Chris uh, laid down the triathlon dream and uh, thought, well, the next best thing is to finish my physiotherapy studies and, um, you know, treat these athletes and still keep amongst it that way. And uh, started a practice, was, you know, looking for some quick fitness gains as I was working the 12-hour days and establishing a practice and uh, thought, oh, all, all I've got time for is a quick run and happily I experienced no pain in my knee and uh, then all of a sudden, Chris, I um, you know, thought, right, the next challenge is a marathon and, you know, I've spent really the better part of the last eight years bar sort of two years where I got back into age group triathlon um, and went to the world titles in my age category. But the last eight years, Chris, have been predominantly running, running marathons uh, domestically, Melbourne, uh, the Gold Coast and New York in 2015 and half marathons and 10Ks and 5Ks and, yeah, just uh, getting as much done as I can, Chris. Well, that's great. I know that's not easy to fit all that in. You know, I mean, starting a practice, getting that going, then, you know, maintaining a busy practice is a very difficult thing to do and then fit in all of your uh, training, you know, to continue to even run, um, you know, let alone do triathlon. So now that's really impressive. And I think it really probably guides your approach with uh, with your with your clients. You know, I know it's it's different. Uh, I think the education system over there is as different than than it is here in the states in many ways. And you know, and here in the states, I think that we have a great medical education system. It's highly specialized, um, but because of that, it has some severe limitations. You know, for example, I had 13 years of education after graduating high school, so I have an awful lot of training and experience in foot and ankle injuries. But the fact is, is that I'm really highly trained as a technician. You know, just in this one particular area of the body, and most. Doctors in the United States have a singular area of focus, and I don't really consider, at least not in, you know, that we have this real depth of knowledge in other areas of the body that can be contributing to to those problems in this one particular area that we focus in. And many years ago, I presented research that I had done at the Australasian Podiatry Council meeting in New Zealand. And when I attended the lectures there, it seemed to me that the sports medicine physicians and podiatrists from Australia had a much more holistic approach in general than the typical American physician. And I know that's an overgeneralization. I probably have lots of podiatrists here in the States who are going to hate it when I say that, but that was my impression. And obviously with your background, you have a very holistic approach. When you see a runner that seems that they've suffered multiple episodes of metatarsal stress fractures, for example, like what are your first thoughts? And what I mean is that an orthopedic surgeon is generally going to have a thought of, well, if it's broken, you know, does it need surgery? Do you need to put a plate on it or not? And, and that's really the limitation of it. But my suspicion is that if you see that same patient, you're going to think something more along the lines of, why did this happen in the first place? So what do you do with one of those kind of runners who's had these sort of multiple recurring injuries with the same type of injury? Yeah, Chris, uh, it's, a, it's a great question. And I guess my approach to physiotherapy is probably was seeded by my receiving of physiotherapy as a junior triathlete from, as I look back now, a really outstanding physiotherapist who did seek to try and identify contributing factors for injury and then put the right things in place. So I've obviously since developed my own thoughts and thinking and pattern recognitions and things over the years as a clinician. But I think that really did lay the early bed, you know, the foundation. But I guess I don't know any other way, Chris, to do my craft, you know, physiotherapy than to truly want to take out, help the athlete, help the client, help the patient, take out insurance um, in the sense that, you know, 
we talk at our local practice here, Pogo Physio, about helping clients get finish line results. And that's either they just want to get out of pain or they want to get back to their physical best. And the 99% of my clientele, my caseload is people that want to get back to their physical best. In this context, it's back to running and injury-free running. So, Chris, you know, we have diagnosis sitting in the middle and then I like to think of it like we have a graph like this in some documents we use for our clients. We've got, you know, picture some circles around that central circle and those circles are all different sizes. And what those circles represent is contributory factors or causative factors for the given injury. So in the context of running, Chris, when I sat back several years ago, just on just under two years ago now to write you know, what became You Can Run Pain-Free, I really identified that at the heart of most lower limb overuse injuries, in this case, say it's repetitive, you know, metatarsal stress injuries or fractures, there's really five key principles that, you know, I found consistent across the board and they were the athlete's running body, the runner's body. So, you know, if you think of it in uh, summary is are there any stiff bits, weak bits, tight bits on their kinetic chain that could create overload for the given area, in this case, the metatarsals? Uh, what's their technique like? You know, we know the impact of technique on running injuries. So you know, are they overstriding? Is that creating problems? Are they, you know, having excessive vertical oscillation? You know, wh- what are they doing with their technique? How are they using their body? Then obviously we need to look at footwear, which is step three. And then we talk about the importance of, you know, the kinetic chain and in particular the hips. What are they like under unload and with fatigue around their lumbopelvic or core control, if you like? And then, Chris, we would both recognize, the listeners would recognize the importance of training volume and the training errors, you know, too much too soon, sudden, you know, increase in intensity, addition of hills and all those things. So well, it's really the framework of five areas that, as headings, I would want to get across if I was looking at the given patient you mentioned there with recurring metatarsal stress injuries. No, that makes sense. And But it really is all these, it's an entire approach that you have. It's not just, okay, let's fix that one problem. And that's really the, the big difference, I think, is that here it's such a singular focus on, okay, well, let's just do whatever we need to do to heal that injury. And, the, you know, it seems like the doctor believes their job's done here, but it's that's really not it at all because when I lecture to physicians, you know, there's this one slide I have and it's about goals and it says, okay, every runner that comes into your office, they have goals and it's usually attached to a specific race or a specific number of races or a specific time in a race or something, but it's not, it's not because their foot hurts that they have a goal and this pain is interfering with that goal. And that's really not a primary consideration here. So, you know, you really have to do evaluate it and you have to figure out, okay, how are you going to get better? But then you have to do something about all the problems that led to this. And of course, like you just mentioned, running technique certainly contributes to injuries. So, you know, everybody wants to run with great technique. There's no question about that. And when I lecture at conferences about barefoot running biomechanics, many physicians don't even understand really what the basics of great technique are. So given that obviously this could degenerate into an inherently complicated biomechanical discussion, maybe you could just simplify it summarize what you know great technique means to you yeah certainly chris and i like what you said there you know let's simplify i i find anything that i ever output chris i try and output for the general consumer the general running public um you know whether it's through my running.physio work or pogo physio work i tend to write and conceptualize for the consumer as opposed to our colleagues so i do find a real power in simplicity and 
you know, when I thought about what do I need to include in this step in You Can Run Pain-Free, the book, this step being the second, running with great technique, I boiled it down to five principles and and I'll share those. But I, I, you could add more, Chris. You could potentially take some away. But I really thought these five hold true. And uh, clinically, with uh, my experience, when we tweak these things for runners, it results in great reductions in injury risk. And they are, mate, do not overstride. So this is the, obviously the concept of a runner's cadence or step mm-hmm. length minimize bobbing up and down or that excessive vertical displacement uh, the third principle is optimizing foot strike placement which you know r- really does need to come third and not first and we can potentially come back to that the importance of that optimizing the body position and then fifth utilizing the power of our natural springs in other words our tenderness structures so they're the five principles chris now that's interesting obviously you're somebody who really understands this so not only you you know this physio guru but you also were able to go from this pretty horrific injury and get back to running and in fact run pain-free so you can really really share some valuable information with everybody in developing your your way of approaching this and way you present it it's it's really interesting to me. One thing that you probably went through with your bike crash, I mean, you talked about this a little bit, where you're basically working toward becoming a pro triathlete, and then you have this terrible bike crash with significant injuries. For some people, they'd be life-changing injuries, right? Like, no question. Yeah. That's very difficult. It's very difficult for athletes to make these shifts. And I used to race motorcycles professionally many years ago, and there was a guy I knew that crashed, and he was paralyzed from the waist down. It took him about five years to sell his motorcycles because he couldn't let go of the idea that he would not be able to race again. This, I mean, that's an extreme example, but it's true. Like when when runners uh, get injured and they go in and they see a doctor and they tell them, okay, well, you know, you're injured. You're just not going to be able to do that race. You're not going to be able to run or something like that. It's very difficult for them psychologically. And wh- what do you do? I mean, what is your basic approach in terms of dealing with the psychological issues that surround these injuries in elite runners? And how do you approach these injured athletes? And how do you help them work through that psychological challenge that most doctors don't really even seem to want to talk mm-hmm. about because it contributes to their healing or their or their lack of healing? This is the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What's a virtual doctor visit? The idea of not running at all while waiting for my foot to heal was simply depressing. I really needed a second opinion from an expert, someone who specializes in helping runners. What you'll get from Dr. Segler, in my experience, is expert runner and medical care that's individualized for your needs. I'm left with actionable steps to recover from my injury. Dr. Segler is different, and I felt heard, didn't feel patronized, and I felt like he prioritized getting me back to running as soon as possible as much as I did. I just couldn't see sitting around for six weeks knowing my hard-earned fitness would vanish. I know Dr. Segler is an expert, and I wanted to see him in person. But frankly, I just couldn't afford the cost of a house call. I saved enough money to pay for my next marathon registration. You'll have an appointment with Dr. Segler, whether it's via Skype or on the phone. You can expect, one, he's gonna be on time. Two, he's gonna be able to spend more time with you than the typical uh, visit in a doctor's office. And both of those are gonna result in more effective diagnosis and treatment plan for you. I'm a young woman in the Philippines and I hurt my ankle yesterday. I just wanted to say thank you and that it's such a relief to be able to find a website like yours and get some information when I'm in a place with uh, little to no medical care. So I just wanted to call and say thank you. You're awesome. Book a virtual doctor visit and get a second opinion online today. Welcome back to the Doc on the Run podcast. 
when runners uh, get injured and they go in and they see a doctor and they tell them, okay, well, you know, you're injured, you're just not going to be able to do that race, you're not going to be able to run or something like that. It's very difficult for them psychologically. And wh- what do you do? I mean, what is your basic approach in terms of dealing with the psychological issues that surround these injuries in elite runners? And how do you approach these injured athletes? And how do you help them work through that psychological challenge that most doctors don't really even seem to want to talk mm-hmm. about because it contributes to their healing or their or their lack of healing yeah chris such a great uh, insight isn't it <clears throat> and i mean a bit like uh, my approach to wanting to make sure we don't leave any contributory factor unaddressed for an injured runner returning uh to to run in i guess in similar parlance i also want to make sure every injured runner that i ever consult truly knows that I know just how important it is for them and that I understand where they're at psychologically and processing it. And experience is a great teacher. I I have no qualms in sharing my story when I went from a sort of aspiring, ambitious junior triathlete with, you know, with some talent to all of a sudden not able to, you know, do a single leg squat because of the pain in my knee and all the other bits that I had. Um, from the injuries, uh, from the crash, you know, I was clinically depressed. Uh, and, you know, as a 19-year-old, it was the closest thing to suicidal you could probably get. Wow. And, uh, you know, my identity was Brad the triathlete. Uh, you know, obviously at 19, your life experiences, you haven't really had a lot. So I really couldn't see a way forward. So I was a completely different person. And then as I went into my university years, I can look back now and I can really see that when I wasn't running, when I wasn't able as a male to be physically active and physically at my best, I was a 50% version of myself in terms of how I interacted with the world. So, you know, that really grounded me in the fact that when we talk about injuries for people, it's far more than skin deep. You know, uh, there's rarely at this stage of my career, Chris, when I consult an injured runner, not tears, <laughs> in that first appointment. Uh, the last two runners I've treated, uh, I was out of the practice that I had a series of meetings, one in Brisbane, but interesting with a US physiotherapist who just returned but to Australia. But uh, the last two runners, uh, I spend 60 minutes an hour with every initial appointment, as does our practice in general. But uh, there was bo- both of them had tears. One was a runner who one is a runner who's had ten years of recurring calf strains and Achilles tendon problems, and you know I could have taken that at face value, but I dug down a bit deeper and I wanted to go a few layers down and ask the patient, "Hey, why is this important to you? I know you want to get back to injury-free running, but why?" And Chris, when there's a pause and the eyes start to glass over. And then the tears come, you know that you've actually got real cut through. And so this runner went on to share that, you know, they just had a four-month old beautiful boy and he's had some uh, de- developmental problems, has been in hospital for four months. Mm. And for a stress relief, she just wants to get out and have go for a run. So this is now really important to it to be able to do that. The other runner, you know, loves to be active and came down from Brisbane. It's an hour trip south for her to be consulted and you know, was also in tears. She's a busy mum and she just wants that physical outlet. So whether it's a recreational runner or a an elite athlete, Chris, it's the same underlying set of emotions. I find it's the frustration of being sidelined. It's anxiety of not performing at their physical best. And uh, it's the fear of not being able to do what they love. So I think, Chris, when you can connect at that root level and that they know that you know how they're feeling, mm-hmm. then off you go. What you do from there is just 
you know, putting your clinical knowledge into place and coaching them through it. But without that, Chris, I would caution any therapist working in this space or with anyone that's looking to perform at their physical best. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, because it, it does help. I think the, the reason that so many runners call me, what's well, because I'm a runner. And they know that yep. at least kind of have this base understanding of why they may actually want to run in the first place, which is often lacking with many clinicians. But then, yeah, when you can actually share, you know, and connect on this real level about why it's so important that you run either to relieve stress or to to compete at some level, it really does make a big difference. And then it just drives them in their motivation when they know that they're understood. Like it makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And and they just, you know, they probably often say to yourself too, Chris, oh, you just get it. Thanks for getting it, you know. Yeah. Um, I feel good because you get it. I've yeah. been to other people, I've had other professional advice and they don't get it. You know, they say things like, just don't run or, you know, have you considered a different sport? And they just don't get it. You know, that's what I often hear. And right. so, you know, it, it really is um, great to be able to relate on your own personal experiences as well as your professional, you know, knowledge. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. So, uh, you know, one thing I also want to talk about is that a step four of your process is to really, you have to understand and appreciate the importance of hip stability. And it seems like you argue that hip stability doesn't just contribute to injuries, but it also contributes directly to success in terms of efficiency and faster running. So can you help us just, I know it's complicated, but can you help us understand a little bit about why hip stability is so important and tell us your favorite exercises for increasing hip stability to help runners run faster and stay injury-free. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Chris. And I guess I could answer it in two categories. One would be the clinical research, you know, the research, sorry, and the other would be the practical clinical application. And I think leaving the research aside, of which there's a lot, and, you know, you can go and find great controlled studies where they look at the effect of the deep hip external rotators on patellofemoral joint pain and, you know, a, a, a whole plethora of, supportive literature but if we just talk on the practical clinical aspects hip stability chris i mean every injured runner i want to have a look at how they're moving so we'll get them up on the treadmill and uh and have a look at you know what they're doing and you know arguably aside from the side on view where you get to look at you know their foot relative to their knee and you know these sorts of things and their, their, their foot positioning on on impact Looking from behind at what their hips are doing when a runner runs is is really important. And things they're looking for there is what does the body do under full load on at the point of impact? Um, and typically what you find with athletes that have lower limb injuries, even with athletes that don't, um, is some degree of collapsing of the hips under load. So that'll typically look like a dropping of the opposite hip to the one that's taking the weight as you know, a, a, a shift to the midline of the thigh uh, of the uh, sometimes of the stance leg, uh, and if you're looking this looking the uh, to look in the sagittal plane, you know there'd be a degree of hip internal rotation or collapsing towards that midline in a rotary fashion. If listeners can, can conceptualize that, so you know they're the three movements that tend to happen when hip stability or strength is. Uh, is is a deficit as to what it could be. So how that then manifests is an increased loading in general of the kinetic chain. So whether that's the proximal hamstring tendon or the 
glute medius tendon or the uh you know, the uh, patella tendon in the knee or the Achilles tendon or the metatarsal that we spoke about in the foot earlier, uh, that whole kinetic chain is going to be receiving some degree of excessive load and there's going to be greater impulse, which is, as we both know, that extra contact time with the ground as the runner goes over the stance phase of, the, of that leg. So, Chris, hip stability is of great importance. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And, you know, because I'm a podiatrist, I mean, most podiatrists that I know, really, it's like when they watch people walk, I mean, they look for the sort of gross dysfunctions. I mean, you know, asymmetric arm swing, you know, shoulder that's dropped way down, but not the subtleties that you're talking about in terms of hip stability. I mean, you can see them, right? Like if you're looking for them, but most physicians aren't even trained to look for those things because it's not really their area of focus. But there's something, you know, that can be done about it. What do you think are the simplest exercises that can sort of resist the drop in rotation and collapsing of the hips that happen when you when you do have poor hip stability? Are there, are there a couple that you really think are key? Yeah, Chris, I mean, there's a, a myriad, right? But exactly, there's a couple that, you know, no matter what level of running, if we we were to objectively assess the runner and find there's a deficit, you know, so objectively with hip active external rotation test or some digital dynamometry of abduction to adduction ratios, these sorts of things in combination with their video gait analysis mm-hmm. where the runner can see what they're doing under dynamic load. You know, I'd prescribe for the deep hip external rotators as a foundational you know, walk before you run type exercise, the, the active hip external rotations, Chris. Um, and certainly I can provide links to these for your listeners, Chris. Um, but, you know, to quickly visualize for the listeners, it's laying off the edge of a bed, literally a bed at home. Bottom leg, you're laying on your side and you, you're dropping it down and lifting it up. And I like to get runners to one set of 100 reps continuous on that, Chris, before we then add resistance. Um, and runners often look at me like I'm a bit mad, like 100 reps? You know, <laughs> did I get, did I hear that right? And I'm like, well, you know, runner A, John, yes. I mean, you do, let's say you take 90 single leg steps just to round that out on each leg every minute of your running and you go out and run for 60 minutes, John, that's 5,400 times you're asking these little muscles here, the deep hip external rotators, to hold your weight. And they quickly get that connection. So, mate, that's the deep hip external rotators. Um, foundational for the glute medius, you know, uh, for listeners, the muscles on the side of the hip. I like things like resisted crab band walks. And once again, I can provide links here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like side plank work up to side scissor kicks with a whole, you know, range of progressions there. Uh, and then when it comes to so, so far, we've covered the deep hip external rotators. We've covered the lateral stuff like the glute medius. And then we're talking about glute max. So, I like everything from donkey kicks for activation through to high bench bridges through to sit to stands, you know, for the glute max, Chris. But when I prescribe these for runners, hip, hip strengthening, hip control work, I'm always conscious, Chris, of giving the runner, whether it's the recreational runner or the elite you know, national or international level runner, exercises that get the greatest bang for the buck. So I do find that, you know, people can latch onto an exercise because they've seen it and they can feel it working, but it's a matter of is that the best one to give that particular runner the best result for the given input of time and effort. There's certainly a lot of common ones I give out, but then it's a matter of individualizing where you can to really maximize their time spent 
you know, on this stuff. Well, that, I mean, that's a good point because, you know, there are so many different exercises. I mean, look at stretches for the Achilles tendon, right? We're talking about one tendon and there are so many different stretches that you can do, but it depends upon what is really contributing to it. Is it really a gastroc Aquinas? Is it really soleal Aquinas? What's really causing the problem? And when you think about running injuries, I mean, people don't come see you with just one injury like you said it's this whole range of things um you know i've had some issues with my gluteus medius and the cause of that is different than somebody that's getting a metatarsal stress fracture probably but if it's related to poor hip stability but then it's translated down the chain differently and so it targets different structures and the injury lands on a different structure it still can be the same thing so there's no way because i get that i'm sure i'm going to get this question from runners i can say okay well for i always get calf strains uh, when i do hill repeats so what exercises should i do well that depends on what's really causing the problem you can't really tell that without an, a thorough assessment right which is why you do these very lengthy initial assessments with your clients correct correct dr gris you got it you know i appreciate you sharing some key exercises and and i have to admit that when i heard you begin that discussion and say that you recommend that people get up to you know a hundred of these before they really even add resistance it seems like a regimen from the russian hockey coach or something <laughs> but it's yeah. true it's like in the grand scheme of things you're talking to a marathon runner like well how many steps do you take during a marathon does a hundred really seem like a lot to you yeah you know it seems kind of silly when you put it in those terms but it's true it's just like we want everything to be fast and simple, you know, oh, do 10 of these and do 10 of those and then you'll be good. But it takes a lot of work to uh, really get a machine in marathon shape, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe we need to increase it, Chris, to uh, 10,000 reps. <laughs> <laughs> but it's about compliance, right? So you want to, and it's interesting, it's, it's, you know, we're making a joke about it, but it's, it's an interesting concept is that you want to really give enough for the athlete, the runner to have a quick win. So, you know, they can celebrate. I got to that. Right. some degree of accomplishment and then you can layer on the greater challenges so you know i love that our work is really art and science and i recently had a discussion around this with a one of the australian swim coaches here about you know what percentage of your work would you say is uh art and what's science and you know he's coaching one of the hottest 100 meter freestyles in the world he has been for a few years now and he's like you know it's 80 percent art <laughs> and i'm like you know what i'd you know, in my work, it's very similar, and I'm sure you're the same, Chris. There's a, there's a real art to it. And I think that's the, the beauty of it. It's this ongoing fascination with getting better at the craft, right? It really is, yeah. And I did tons of research when I was in, in uh, med school and residency, and I always sort of ascribed to that idea that it was really science and that if you read enough stuff and you measured enough stuff, then you could put everybody in these little baskets of they have this injury you do this and it just doesn't work that way the longer in practice the more i realize how ludicrous that entire idea is because it, everybody's an individual and everybody even with the same injury has different biomechanics they have different structures they have different weaknesses they have different strengths it's a trick to try to figure out where they lie on each one of those spectrums all at the same time so it is fascinating, you know, and it is certainly a privilege to get to work with people and help them figure that out. Um, yeah. a lot, you know, but on the other end of the spectrum from, you know, really trying to work things to get them better is trying to rest them to get better. With all the the athletes that we're talking about, marathon runners, triathletes, you know, they, they train a lot. 
and they're trying to put in a lot of volume. And many times rest is the thing that gets taken away. Just sort of the idea that, you know, if you if you work hard enough, if you train enough, then you'll be fast enough on race day. So I personally believe that rest is the most underutilized resource available to runners. Could you just speak a little bit about step five in your process and, and the power of rest? Oh, Chris, I think you summed it up so well there. Rest is one of the most underutilized, you know, training boosters isn't it and it really is and it's the fifth step chris because it really is the glue that holds the other four steps of the you can run pain three pain free sorry process together together and you know i have to confess chris in the last several years i've had a couple of stress responses in my femur two in fact and i look back at it you know and it's it was quite funny that no one was seriously giving me a hard time about it but people in jest were like oh you're out injured What's this thing about running pain free? <laughs> and but I think it was a it was a beautiful example that you know I was trying to push. You know you mentioned earlier it was great to get back to running, but the, the fascinating thing for me was um, uh, that I actually got back to running as an adult, a time compressed adult, faster than I ever hit it, had as a flat out junior triathlete doing PBs. Even now, still doing PBs and um, across the different distances, and so um, I really. Uh, can appreciate that when you're pushing for your physical best whether that's and we all are as runners you know we're not all going to be first across the line in in a marathon um you know it's this fine balance that we walk and the trap i think the trick i think chris is that we kind of can in our early stages of improving we get that notion that we do more we get more you know we do more we get better Mm -hmm. so we develop this mindset that more 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 miles more miles better at better better performance but at some point that stops and ceases and it's a matter of as you say maximizing the work you're doing with the correct interspersed rest and you know these times i got injured i I realized that i added one extra run in that wasn't a new run it's just that it became an intensity run because i paired up with a few other guys and as guys sometimes can do it turn into a race Mm -hmm. so for four consecutive fridays i had had these hard hit outs rather than my 10k steady run and it was enough to tip me over that pointy, pointy edge. So, Chris, the power of rest is paramount if you want to run at your best and you want to run injury-free. And, Chris, for me, even recently last year, you know, on the podcast I host, I interview athletes, and I had the, the distinct pleasure of interviewing Nick Willis, who's uh, now in his 30s, 33, 34, four times New Zealand Olympian, picked up the bronze medal in the 1500 metres at Rio uh, and the bronze, uh, sorry, the silver at the Beijing uh, Olympics in 2008. And I said to Nick something about best recovery tip. And Nick answered, uh, Chris, and it really was almost like a moment of smacking me between the eyes. He said, you know what, the best re- the best performance tip, I think, was, you know, I get ahead when I rest because I know that my competition's out there pushing themselves, doing more, and I get ahead when I rest. Hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's a professional athlete, four times Olympian, Olympic medalist, and he gets the fact that more doesn't equal better. He gets the fact that when he rests, that's actually where he gets the gain. So I thought, well, if that's the the, the most elite level of running uh, and that's understood, well, we as age group recreational 
you know, runners really need to take that on board as well. So I don't know if I'd answered answer that very well, but I guess I'm just sharing some insights around oh, it. Yeah, Chris. No, that's fantastic. I mean, that really sums it up. You know, with the, the number of runners that I see with injuries, when I look at them and I think about it, like kind of how you mentioned, you added in this one run that became sort of more in, more intense than it should be based on what you know is ideal for you. And if people didn't run on back-to-back days, it would probably eliminate 85% of the patients that I see. The people that get injured, they're doing something wrong. It's not just one run. It's a pattern of you know, accumulated lack of rest that leads to all of these injuries. So they obviously have to address all the things that they can use to run faster and train harder like your book teaches. Um, but then they also have to really rest to maximize their fitness and maximize their recovery. That's where the gains are made. The the strength comes when you're sleeping. It doesn't come when you're running. Oh, I love that. The strength comes when you're sleeping. Uh, that's uh, that's great, Chris. Uh, I mean, you think about tendons, you know, they, they need that 24-hour response window. And so, mm. you know, what percentage of the injuries that we see are tendons related to, ten, you know, tendinopathies, et cetera. It's huge. And, uh, you know, as you say, uh, it's a great great overarching sort of statement that you know imagine if we not every runner ran back to back you know what would happen to the injury profile it's but this is the art and science isn't it chris you can give the same stimulus to two runners and one's not injured the other is it's you know and it's uh, it's learning about your body over the years what it can do what it you know needs to develop in and it's you know what's too much well sometimes it is the trial and error process so I think it's important for people to give themselves a level of grace if and when they do develop a running injury, but rather than just experience it, evaluate that experience, learn from it. And I think the majority of times, certainly in clients or runners that I treat, you know, a training error exists. Um, And it's often the overzealous runner, you know, want to do more and get better performance. So, yeah, Chris, uh, if you can crack the code on this, uh, Chris, I think uh, you'd have – Uh, more patients than we'd ever be able to deal with. (laughs) That's right. Well, Brad, thanks. This has all been really helpful. And, um, you know, I appreciate you sharing all of your insights today. Um, And take, of course, taking the time out of your schedule to arrange this call from halfway around the world. In the show notes, we'll put a link to where they can get your book. For those people that want to learn your techniques and get your book and and hear your podcast, we'd like them to be able to get in touch with you. For athletes living in or traveling to the Gold Coast of Australia, where can they find you if they need to work with you and your team in person? Thanks, uh, Chris. Pogo Physio, P-O-G-O. Physio is where you'll find all the portals to schedule appointments or to connect with me. And just searching for me in Google, Brad Beer Physio, you'll you'll get all the social handles. Uh, I have a, an active Facebook community, uh, Chris, which I try and share regularly around as generously as I can with answering people's questions and pointing them in the right direction, even if they're on the other side of the world. So that's the running.physio facebook community chris and uh yeah mate certainly um happy to take questions from anyone and add any value where i can and i just want to say chris thanks for uh, the opportunity uh, it's great to connect with like-minded health professionals that share a love for for running and the benefits of running and you know these conversations are always uh so enjoyable thanks brad i really appreciate you coming on the show today it's really been great having you I think it's important listeners to know that Chris is recording this at 2 a.m., so you are a dedicated host, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes to get the uh, the greatest minds on the show. That's a look at it. All right, Brad. Well, thanks again for coming on. Chris, my pleasure. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me, and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast.
Thanks again for listening.